the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Planted with Sarah Pion podcast. I am Sarah Pion, your host, and today we have Brian Passman, who is the founder and executive headhunter of Hunter and Esquire, which he founded with his wife, Jessica, in 2017. And they do leadership level hiring and sourcing. And I'm just really excited, Brian, to have you here today. It's good to see you. We had some fun in New York, and now we're back at home and chatting it up. Uh, we did have fun, and I'm glad to be here with you again so soon. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you the question that I ask all of my guests, if you feel comfortable answering, but what was your first cannabis experience? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm. Uh, our two young kids are not around, so I'm, I'm able to answer the question, honestly, which is that my first uh, consumption experience was at age 12. Uh, I don't remember all of the vivid details of it. Uh, it was it was a little bit of a rough upbringing for me around that time in Miami. And uh, I had some interesting friends. We were figuring out ways to get in some trouble in some interesting ways. Uh, it was just, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly how it happened and what I, I expected from it, but uh, I know it went well because it became a daily ritual for me from, from then on many years ago. And I think I think uh, served a purpose um, for me uh, very much so in my, in those uh, preteen, teen, adolescent years, really actually keeping me out of uh, trouble uh, for the most part, just consuming and being a, a happy guy instead of what I could have been otherwise. Yeah, I, I think I, as we were talking before, I think that those of us who kind of had a precocious nature as children, you know, we tend to do experimentation. And, you know, one of the questions that I get from a lot of my listeners, well, especially I had David Crosby on this past fall, it was one of his last interviews. And a question that one of the listeners had for him was, what would you say when you're talking to teens about cannabis? What would, what's your advice? And he was said, you know, tell them the truth because it demystifies things and makes it not as exotic or something that somebody wants to go towards, but, you know, also just empowering them with information so they can make educated decisions for themselves because though and listeners out there you know remember we're not condoning youth access it's that's not what it's about but it is about having truthful conversations about what cannabis does and talking to your kids so that when they are old enough to try it they're armed with the information that they need and the demystification just makes it way less sexy kids aren't like ooh. I need to have that. But going back to that question, what what will be your conversation if you feel comfortable saying with your kids when when that com conversation does come up? Because I know they're little right now. Yeah, uh, our boys are nine and eleven, growing up fast, and they're I mean they're 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 very much aware of their parents' regular cannabis consumption. Um, we started this business when they were young, working out of the home and. You know, cannabis is a very prominent word in their dictionary. Um, you know, so we and 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 we are we are those types of parents that speak about real world stuff 
with our kids and help them understand why things are happening, how things happen, how it all works. I, very explanatory. Uh, and I've actually had the conversation because they've, they've, uh, you know, when we were in New York, you come home from MJ unpack type shows with, uh, quite a bit of product and they're always eager to see me. Some, a lot of times they see what gets unpacked from the suitcase or the backpack and, uh, and they're curious. So we do get to talk about it a lot. And the conversation is, look, if you're still interested a little bit later, then let's, you know, let's go for it. But, uh, there's, you know, there, there's a time and a place there's there. It, it's, uh, it's a responsible thing, uh, that mommy and daddy partake in. And it's just not something, uh, that you need, uh, at this time, in my opinion, and I'm your, your guardian and, you know, you're living a pretty cushy life guys. Uh, <laughs> you might, you might you might choose to partake later for some reason recreationally or medicinally or whatever it may be but you know that's some years away so let's just uh respect that because right now you're uh just in more of a developmental stage and daddy didn't start consuming till much later uh which is you know so little little bit of bending the truth but parents have to do that sometimes oh absolutely absolutely and I, I think as we are getting into this era of normalization the one thing that I've noticed and I've seen in research is that younger people aren't as interested in it when they see you know the normalization of it like having the conversations that you have because it's like oh well, that's it's nothing mysterious it just it's there right so hope you know hopefully when they're off at high school parties and college it's because it's not the first time they've seen it smelled it maybe experienced it it won't be like a wow i'm going to just you know partake in this and drop everything else because there are you know we love the plant i love my relationship with the plant but there are certainly such a thing as an unhealthy relationship with the plant and you know the stereotypical lazy stoner type of individual it, it can very much be brought to life if you just decide i'm just going to consume no matter what i feel like do i need it or not and just relax and sit on the couch and consume and not do anything i think that's very easy for a a teenager just to fall into and you know sit around ordering pizzas with their friends type of thing and uh that's not a healthy relationship with the plant if you're doing that uh you know with frequency i think right need a little bit of that every once in a while uh but you know that's another conversation right right yeah no it's a it's a huge difference between kicking back and and it actually getting in the way of having a productive lifestyle and, and as we know you can have a, a bad relationship with just about anything and as human beings we are constantly striving for homeostasis whether we hit the mark or not is a whole thing altogether. but um i i these are just good conversations to have, but you and Jessica, you have Hunter and Esquire. Um, it's a company where you're headhunting and you're placing executives. You work both in the cannabis and the psychedelic space. And I'm really curious how you got into that and what were your thoughts also about branching into psychedelics and what you've been excited about? Yeah. Well, um, so I've only ever been a headhunter. I, uh, fell into uh, executive recruitment in in the life sciences industry out of school when I was trying to land a job as a medical device sales rep. And thankfully, no one 
put me in a role like that where I was in an OR with someone's life in my hands because that's what medical device reps uh, do a lot of times. So in any case, I, I, uh, I landed with an agency that conducted searches around the world for medical device companies in very technical and scientific and operational uh, capacities. And I did that for 15 years and it was really extremely rewarding to um, be on the front end with companies that were just innovating and commercializing uh, life-changing or saving products such as MRI safe pacemakers and various types of implantables. And we had a lot of clients in diabetes care. Uh, I've, I've lost some relatives to diabetes complications. So it was cool to help scale some companies that were developing some artificial pancreas closed loop, closed loop systems for uh, insulin management. And, uh, and I can go on and on. It was really, really interesting um, and, you know, along the way, made some friends that were participating in the legal, uh, cannabis industry. And I, you know, I still today and all that time till now had this regular consumption relationship and just found it really intriguing. And, uh, I, I, I left my medical device recruitment gig, uh, late 14 or early 15 to participate in trying to start something up. In cannabis that didn't work out and then i tried to get a full-time job as someone's head of talent acquisition internally or maybe as a recruiter at someone's uh, executive search firm in the industry and uh, it was frustrating that none of those roles or opportunities existed back in 2014 and 15 and 16 when i was looking so uh i did i did go into uh cpg recruitment so after that first attempt to start something up in cannabis didn't work out, I did take a gig leading a team of researchers and recruiters uh, at a CPG search firm with a lot of involvement in adult beverage. And I got exposed to more sales and marketing, team building and executive placement. And uh, working in the alcohol industry is uh, pretty fun for a moment and uh, very unhealthy and um about two and a half years into that, I was really ready to get back into the wellness space. And I still couldn't get a gig on anyone else's team in cannabis. So it was at that time that my wife, who's a very entrepreneurial um, attorney, was exiting a startup she had with some other women. She was exiting her role as COO and general counsel and was wondering what she was going to do next. And we were sitting around talking one day about just my frustration and she uh, suggested we do something together, which I thought was weird and wild, and uh, and and also great because the you know I'm I'm a sales guy uh, at heart. I like talking. I like going out and, and doing all the things, not the administrative behind the scenes, the really hard stuff, the the quiet stuff that drives a business. And um, she volunteered to do all of that, thankfully for us, so we could launch what at that time was called the gig we launched as the gig it was all caps g-i-g-g which was an acronym for the grass is greener global and um, we didn't have a budget to hire a branding agency or, or 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 anything we were just excited to launch it and see what would happen and just get this failure over with let's just try it hurry up and fail and move on with our lives uh which was six years ago and um uh we were the gig for a while and we got a little bit of of pushback on some some press and some love 
public love from some clients that thought the, the name was a little bit too kitschy uh, for them. And we tried to fight that because Yahoo and Google and other funky name companies existed. And we thought, who cares? We'll, we'll deal with it. But we did, we did get forced into a rebrand. And so me as a career headhunter and my wife as a lawyer, we came up with the Hunter Esquire. And, uh, and, and so that's been good for us. And, you know, really until uh, COVID lockdown in 20, we were, we were completely focused on placing leaders in, in the cannabis economy. And um, when, when hiring came to a halt uh, in early 20, and a lot of uh, our leader friends in the cannabis industry were, were being exited, uh, very unceremoniously from their roles at cannabis businesses, because a lot of the first time leaders were opening their wartime CEO playbooks and and just reading the chapter of hang on to cash, fire well-paid people. Mm -hmm. uh, those people were, were asking us if we could help them tackle the next new frontier, blaze the next path in psychedelics. There was a lot of momentum developed by 20 in that, in that space. And you know, we were pretty bored without a lot of searches in cannabis and there's only so much content you can create every day. So I just started making friends with anyone who would talk to me in the psychedelics medicine sector. And it turned out to be a whole lot of people who really appreciated the fact that I had recruited in the life sciences industry for 15 years and understood their challenges with uh, how expensive it is to run clinical trials, to seek uh, regulatory approvals by the FDA and to hire bona fide compliance and quality assurance and other scientific affairs leadership. And, and we were able to make a lot of friends through sharing insights on just any of the things, when to make a hire, how much this profile, you know, costs and, and so on. And so we just uh, built a lot of goodwill uh, with those folks who ended up in some cases uh, unfortunately, not all hiring us for searches later. Um, certainly, the majority of our revenue comes from filling leadership roles in cannabis still, but we get to participate in a lot of advisory and placement in psychedelics. And I, I believe at, at some point sooner than later, um, that'll shift for us. But right now, it's sporadic and getting a, a head of legal here, head of finance or investor relations there and filling some science -y roles but um it's more quality over quantity right now because of course there's nothing really commercially scaled in psychedelics just yet so uh so i feel like it's uh, sort of the calm before the storm and just traveling throughout the community as much as we can to let people pick our brain and uh help however we can and um one day be more uh i guess more of a life science search firm again someday that's some interesting stuff. I, I've been fascinated to see what's been going on with psychedelics. There are a lot of people interested. There are still a lot of bottlenecks, a lot of things that we need to figure out, especially with you know, decriminalization happening. But we certainly are not where we are with cannabis. And even with cannabis, we're, we're bottlenecked consistently. And one of the things that I've, I've noticed, you know, since the pandemic, of course, you've been right on the front lines witnessing this. A lot of people have lost their jobs. There have been a lot of changes, especially with large MSOs consolidating companies and just, you know, gathering a lot of things, getting rid of a lot of people, doing a lot of change. 
what are what are your thoughts when somebody comes to you and says, "I'm really excited about cannabis. I want to get involved. How do I how do I get a job in this? What do you what are your suggestions?" Uh, yeah, I we 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 field a lot of those uh, messages daily, and we we've definitely um, adjusted our reaction to that over the years. And uh, you know, I don't mind sharing right right about now. I I. I really challenge people. We are, are I think I think part of our success in 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 placing people with our clients in cannabis in a way where they stuck really well. In part was because we would test their desire to work in the industry and, and talk a lot about their why um, and discuss you know examples of in past lives when they've had opportunities to do things that are uniquely challenging and, you know, to build and create and, but always to talk about their, their why to understand if they were really cut out to work in the industry. Cause just cause you want to work in the industry doesn't mean you should. There's, I think a spot in the industry for, for, for anyone with any type of um, disciplinary experience, right? It doesn't really matter what your, your on the job experience from any other industry is. There's a place for you in the cannabis industry, but there's a certain type of mindset and desire to succeed in the industry that's required. So we, 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 we always from the get go challenge people uh, on, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you're ready for this type of stuff? I think now we've uh, move to, well, you should really rethink it. And I hear all your passion and interest and real reasons why you should be in the industry. But I'm here as a friend, I guess, to say it is an exceedingly precarious time to enter the industry. Like, like really. So just it, we, we try extra hard to talk people out of it. And for some certain uh, types of roles more so uh, than others. But as as a general rule, if you've not already participated in the industry and you're looking to get in now, it's just, it, it, I feel like it's our duty to help people make a really well-informed decision. And as much as we love the industry and believe it will shake out and be a thing forever and ever and ever and ever, it, it is difficult now. And I, I actually feel uh, it's a little bit of a disservice right now to take people out of being gainfully employed with great pay and benefits in another industry and bring them into cannabis. I almost prefer people be unemployed or really distressed in their place and just like just just so they won't get mad at me when it doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah, uh, I hear that. I hear that when when people reach out to me to ask about working in the industry and what my thoughts are and if I know of any opportunities. It's it's not quite a bless your heart moment, <laughs> but I'm just kind of like, let, let me save you a world of hurt. I've been, I've been doing this for a decade and it's, it it's, you have to really want it. it at this point in time. It's really challenging. Like if I lean back on, you know, my org site roots, we're in a time, you know, when they talk about organizational change and storming, norming and reforming, we are like, we are in the storm. We are in the eye of it. Right, right. So um, that's extremely well said. And I think it, it's it's important for people to hear that. You know, people that are following the industry, even, even, even if you're obsessing over following the industry and you want to because you want in, 
I, I, I still don't think you can actually feel the weight of the challenge just, you know, reading industry news, uh, which is a lot of gloom and doom right now. But, you know, I think we're all programmed out and not believe everything we read. And it's probably not that bad or that difficult. And, you know, whatever, whatever other thoughts people may have to, uh, you know, keep themselves inspired and pursuing entry. So, yeah, I think hearing from people like you with a decade plus experience, you could talk about uh, it's pretty tough right now, maybe wait it out or or just, you know, be very skeptical, be courageous to ask the hard questions and don't just be uh, overzealous about jumping towards an opportunity. Trust your gut if the questions you're asking through an interview process uh, aren't being answered at all or answered in a way it doesn't quite feel right. You know, trust that gut of yours because it's uh, it, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of landmines right now we're trying to navigate around. Yeah, well, and then even if you do get a position, there's there's a lot of limitations. Like I had a friend who got into marketing and cannabis, and she's you know a retail marketing whiz, but you throw in our compliance issues and the lack of advertising opportunities and that's enough to drive any pro nuts it's it's there's just so much more that's piled into this and you you just you gotta want it but it when I was in New York I was talking to an investor and I was asking them what they thought about people working in the industry like if they felt that there was more value with people with cannabis knowledge or when we're looking at, you know, people who are like total veterans from other areas coming into cannabis, you know, they have their business chops. Is that more important? And a lot of people were saying that they felt like people coming in with expertise from other areas held more value. And I, for myself, I kind of think it's both. It's it's like you need to have your people who are coming in that have all of that knowledge and then you have people who have that and they have cannabis knowledge. Because like back in the day, and I'm sure you saw this back in 2014 too, you know, you had a lot of people who may not have known a lot about weed but didn't know how to do business. And it was just, I used to joke that everybody in weed was like part carny. Because <laughs> we're all crazy, you know. But it's, what, do you, what do you think as far as like where's, where's the sweet spot in that? Um, where is the sweet spot? Yeah. Uh, and it definitely depends a lot on, on the role when talking about, you know, what, 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 uh, set of background experiences the person brings to it and what relationship with the plant, if any, they might have. Um, so we, um, I mean, we, we do feel heads of cultivation, uh, and other plant touching roles, which, you know, I do personally think should come with a relationship with the plant. Uh, the the brunt of roles we fill our C-suite, you know, president, CEO, CFO, chief legal officer, et cetera, where uh, I, I think it's a big plus, but we do place a lot of people that, for whatever the reasons may be, don't consume, but are still uh, uh, possessing the requisite passion for the uh, success of the industry because, a loved one depends on their plant medicine or some other very valid reason. And um, 
you know, it, it it's it's like it's the it's the suits and roots conversation, right? The suits and the roots have to get along together. The the people that have been doing this forever, that have risked everything to help the industry get to a place of where it was beginning to legalize, uh, are important to stay involved in the industry. And I think respect for the suits, the new the 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 newcomers to the industry should be respected as well. Um, at least equally. And I say that because, you know, with, 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 with all the uh, due respect to those people uh, from the triangle or elsewhere who have seen their relatives, you know, risk it all and, or, and even be incarcerated and then, you know, themselves risk it all, but they grew up in it. So they're homegrown in the industry. That's great. But I think for a lot of them, it was almost like a foregone conclusion that you were going to work in the weed industry. Yeah. And so what what I find uh, disappointing is when those people, uh, you know, w- look and speak negatively on those that said, you know, I've got a house full of people here. I'm used to feeding off of this this certain level of earning in this very stable situation in my CPG or life science or gaming or other industry life. But, you know, rather than continuing this stable, secure situation, I'm going to put my whole family's livelihood at risk and turn this household upside down and take my career to the to this federally illicit cannabis industry, because I really want to help it succeed. And I'm so passionate about participating in it. And I think there should be more more respect shown to those people that make that decision, because the green rush is long time over. Oh, yes, it is. Right. Those people are taking and and I know I've helped so many of them do it. They're taking much lesser cash comps to do this. They're not doing this to get rich. They they could have, you know, achieved wealthier status staying put where they were than doing this. So this is a passion project for them as well. They just so happen to have been a maybe run a public company or done something else where they dressed and they had to dress and look differently, you know, than than others who have been participating in it for decades or their whole life or generations. So it takes everyone, yeah. um, right? And I, I mean, it, it's, it, it, it's, it, 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 it is avoidable, I guess, if you want to just have a really neat and tidy, very neat and tidy farm operation and not hire anyone like that and just have a very neat, tidy one, two, three million dollar operation um, somewhere and just grow great product. You could probably avoid to a great extent dealing with folks like that. But if you want to build a real business that is sustainable, you're going to have to hire a lawyer and a finance person and a bookkeeper, some of these people. And so let's appreciate that there's the people like that are willing to participate in this industry while it's federally uh, prohibited. Yeah. I, I think, I think that there is, there's a lot to what you've just said. It's um, I believe that, we need people's expertise that have not necessarily been in the industry before to take us to the next level. I think that's super important. I also think it's really important that those same people connect with people who have a deep understanding of not only on the cultivation side, but on the retail side. Because it's one of those things where Formula retail and cannabis, I don't think, form. of course, I'm also a believer in formula retail, just doesn't work so well anyway. I don't understand how somebody can work eight plus hours of their life in a retail environment and not have a deep understanding of what they're doing. It just, to me personally, 
it, it would be soul sucking. But I'm also just, I like to know everything about everything that I'm working with. That's just who I am. But well, it's we, good. And you succeeded. So 10 years into it, you're still here, I think, probably in large part because you're curious. That's a very important skill. Yeah. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Well, and we're, when we're looking at this, it's like, it's a long game. And so many people in the past used to say cannabis sells itself, which if it did, we would be looking at a very different situation than we are now. And I feel like formula retail isn't enough to create the conversation around normalization cannabis and to change the way the market looks. And that's not to say that everyone needs to be a cannabis user. Certainly not. It's not for everybody. You know, some people don't tolerate, you know, we have our own own endogenous cannabinoids. Not everyone tolerates phytocannabinoids. So be it. But with the way that the industry looks right now, it's not necessarily as friendly to people who might be more canicurious and looking to incorporate it as part of their regular, you know, regimen, whether it's to relax or to, you know, as a wellness additive, whatever you want to call it. But I think that there's a certain thoughtfulness that comes in where we start looking at the people that we're missing out on. Because, you know, you and I have loved cannabis for a long time. You show me a beautiful flower. You show me something that's like artisan. I'm, you've got me. You have my attention. But that's not going to be the same as the lady who likes to use, eventually use gummies for sleep. Right. <clears throat> yeah, well... Uh, I, I, we're, it's part of the evolution of the industry is, is, is understanding who target consumers are and businesses understanding that not everyone can be their target consumer and we can't please everyone and not everyone can be pleased and let's stay in our lanes and, you know, this inch wide mile deep approach and all the, you know, just, I guess, being disciplined in, and how, and how we're, we're, we're building these businesses and how we're, uh, you know, trying to, uh, I guess, expand our legal market consumer base and creating products that will help that expand and make it more comfortable for more uh, people to become consumers if they choose. And uh, we don't have to get into the whole THC percentages uh, you know, thing here, but that's, you know, I think that's, that's a relevant uh, topic because, um, you know, my, my wife loves to consume cannabis, but she is very much a low percentage, low dose person, or she has a horrible time, uh, lower the dose, the better, uh, lower the, the potency, the better time, better experience she could have with her cannabis a hundred percent of the time. Uh, so yeah, it, it it's, the the circling back to i guess my 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 uh you know um plea to you know for us all to appreciate the different workers in the industry that are standing this up you know i would like to to add also there's there's all this education you know there's a lot of plant lovers in these plant touching roles that these other non-consumers coming into leadership roles could benefit from engaging with mm -hmm. and performing the the tasks that 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 their jobs entail to 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 sit for 10 hours a day trimming or or some other you know um manual uh labor and task 
and to and 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 it's part of the education that that we give which is look enter with the courage and the confidence to to succeed but understand you also need equal parts humble and hungry to learn and understand how we all got here and to respect the 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 blood and the sweat that those on the team you'll be assuming have given and learn from them come in like a sponge and don't assume what you've done before will work here so maybe become a consumer if you're not already maybe not but at least respect what it's taken to get here and understand the unique challenges uh that we're dealing with including really just figuring out what works in yeah. almost every regard. i think it's been figured out to a better degree in some areas but we're still figuring this thing out uh for the most part yeah absolutely i think another a good thing for people to do is just spend an afternoon in a dispensary waiting room to see all the different people who are coming through because the one thing that I hear from so many people, and I have to say, I had the same experience, you know, I, I, you know, I went from a very comfortable middle management job downtown to working in a dispensary, which was cool because I hadn't, I think everyone should do a retail job as like a full on adult, like once in their lives to really, you know, it's like a rite of passage when you're a kid and you're expecting people to like be kind of ornery or whatever. But like as an adult doing it is like a huge, huge eye opener, but really just seeing like all the different people who are coming in and how emotional it is and what their needs are. Because I think that that really, it really gets glossed over. And um, for some of these people, especially if they're coming in, they don't necessarily have to be coming in in the medical market. They could be using it medicinally, but accessing it through the adult use market. It's a very emotional thing. And, you know, I've, I've been really blessed to work with people who have you know, come from so many different walks of life and have had a lot to contribute. Like a gentleman that was working behind the bar um, at my last dispensary, he had a PhD and he worked with Coco the Gorilla. I mean, how cool is that? Very cool. Uh, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I'll also say... Um, I think I'm unemployable on anyone else's team at this point, being a solo <laughs> for this long. And I, I feel like I, I fully grasp the difficulty of retail, especially in cannabis. So I'm going to leave that up to some other people. I, uh, I receive enough abuse as a recruiter. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just get to do it sitting down uh, for the most part in the comfort of my home office. Well, I, and, and you know, I, I just was thinking about like the preconceived notions of people who do work in cannabis. And the fact is, like you were saying, not everybody consumes. Not everybody is a total stoner. And now that we are seeing this shift in the industry and there are people who are staying, there are people who are weathering it out. They want to, you know, see what happens and they're really invested in where this goes. But we're also seeing people that either have just been burnt out from it or this is just not a good time to stay. And like you said, they have families that they need to take care of. They can't be taking that risk staying in this environment. But what I the thing that I wonder now is when people have invested so much time in cannabis, how difficult it is to step out of it and get a role in another industry with 
you know, some of the preconceived notions that they do have about people. I mean, most of us are very driven professionals that, you know, it's, it, you, you have to be to be able to succeed in this environment. Yeah. Um, one of the many important items we've touched on uh, as part of our education to those seeking to come in, which is you should be prepared to have some career doors closed to you after you get to participate in the cannabis industry, if you get to. Uh, I always counter that with, well, you know, we could probably agree that if you choose to go work somewhere else after cannabis and someone won't hire you because of some negative uh, stigma or perception they would want to put on you because of your participation, do you even want to work with that group of people anyhow? So maybe, right, call it a blessing in disguise. Easy for a recruiter to say than for someone seeking work to feed their family to have to deal with, but you know, something to think about, uh, really the, where that becomes, uh, uh, an actual, very legitimate challenge is, you know, for us, we've, we've worked really hard. I mean, we're, we're woman owned. My wife's the boss here for sure. Uh, we've worked really hard to bring as many women leaders into the industry, um, and people of color into leadership roles in the industry. And, uh, I do understand for, uh, for for those other folks, for people of color that have worked really hard to elevate their careers in other industries to be a um, little bit extra concerned about coming in to participate in the cannabis industry and then revert back to being a public company CFO or head of legal or marketing or something else. Because, you know, well, we don't have to talk about the whole war on weed and, and how it's disproportionately affected, but that's what I'm getting at, right? And right. so that... That, unfortunately for us, has been an obstacle when reaching out to candidates uh, in that demographic to offer them opportunities in the space. We've heard that quite a bit, just the fear of, will I be able to return to this caliber of, of role in this other industry after if I do that? Right, right. Yeah. For me, when I got into cannabis, it was, it, it was supposed to be a brief foray when I was in grad school. I was just like, I just don't want to be anyone's boss. I just don't want to manage operations. And I thought it would be like, oh, I never had a chance to work at a bookstore or a coffee shop. This will be fun. I'll do it while I get my master's. I'll be done. That'll be it. And then I loved it. And the first time that somebody asked to do an article on me, I sat and thought about it for a really long time because I was like, this is on my permanent record. Now I have to ask myself, what is it that I want to do with my career? Because this is going to impact it. And especially back then, because that was pre-legalization, like Colorado hadn't even switched over yet. And I was, it's, it's a big deal for somebody to consider it. And that's, I think for those of you out there listening, like, yes, you know, working in this industry, there are a lot of wonderful things, especially the wonderful people. I mean, it's it's amazing, but you do have to ask yourself, what's my plan B, and how is that going to pan out? Yeah, and you could say, well, there is no plan B. I'm going to burn the boats. That's it. I'm going to hitch the career brand wagon up to the cannabis industry or bust. 
uh and that's great and and you know there's a famous uh quote from arnold schwarzenegger back in the day where he just said you know plan b is a great way to just kill plan a just no plan b but in the real world if there's other mouths to feed in your home you do have to think more long term strategically uh about it um i didn't really think much about it when we were launching this it was in hindsight maybe you should have thought more about it i just there was so many years of just build up excitement just this this frustration of missing out. That was my FOMO. I was just so frustrated with missing out on what was happening. And I wanted to be a part of this historical thing and this building of this new industry. I mean, how many times in our lifetime do we get to do that? And then to do it around this plant that I loved so much, I just, there was, I just didn't care if someone, and cause I, I really, I dealt with that my whole career. I always worked for, for, for people that had great relationships with alcohol and, uh, you know, spoke pretty negatively about my relationship with cannabis. And uh, I, I just always fought through it. And I just figured, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm a, I'm, I'm a high functioning consumer. And that's just, that's just me, take it or leave it. Um, so here we are, I'm 45 years old, so far, so good. <laughs> oh, my friends just thought I was having a a midlife crisis after cancer. So they forgave me for that. <laughs> And then later on, as we got into normalization, they were like, hmm, tell Soon. me about these products that, of which you speak. I, I, I'm curious now, now that everybody's talking about this. Oh, but oh, oh, that which reminds me. So back to, uh, you know, roles in retail and the environment and and, and those types of things. I, I, I do wonder because we hear, you know, hear all the horror stories about lack of training and care for those on the front lines in 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 retail and uh you know a lot of uh bud tenders just you know sort of promoting or suggesting to a patient what they like best mm -hmm. or what needs to move and um we've not done a lot of uh hourly wage worker staffing but i i do understand the difference of placing someone in who might be, you know, a PhD, like the person you referenced that would really get into the science and want to understand the products that they're representing to the consumers coming in the door and not necessarily being jaded or biased in any way as a consumer because they love this product. So they're going to recommend it loud and proud to everyone in lieu of education from brands coming in to educate those in, in that store because we know that doesn't happen enough. Yeah. So not 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 suggesting that those in cannabis retail should be non-consumers, but there's probably a benefit to having someone who is really hung up on understanding what will work and taking a a patient or uh, you know adult user through a whole consultative experience and not just quickly recommending what they love and what they think is fire. Uh, yeah. At that time. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the last um, the last medicinal use subcommittee meeting that I chaired, I was talking about the need for more education on the retail level, because that was something that, that I developed at the company that I worked at. And people actually, we created a culture of education so that people wanted to come work for us because they knew they'd learn. And they really wanted to be professionals. They didn't want to just see through their lens. And somebody came on public comment and was like, you know, 
you can't invest that kind of money in those people. The turnover is high. And it was just like, oh, wow. Wow, you've never worked retail, have you? Or it's been a really long time. And my, my counter to that was when you're looking at professional development and lowering attrition, you have to engage people. You have to, yes, they are not healthcare professionals, but they should be able to navigate a person through that menu, be able to listen and coach and ask key questions to get the information out of people that they may not necessarily know that they even have to create satisfying consumer scenarios. And part of that is teaching people how to teach other people to create that container for experimentation. And these are the ways when we create these successful scenarios, even if it doesn't work for the person, you haven't got made somebody like actively against it. Like this was horrible. Like we've all heard the story of somebody having too much of an edible and then they're like, never again. And you shouldn't do it. and You shouldn't do it. And it's like, if we have these, these more educated conversations, which honestly is not a huge investment in the long run because you're creating a consumer relationship where they're coming back and they're purchasing. Like I, I had somebody say to me once, I could, I could buy this for less expensive somewhere else, but your staff treat me with compassion and they educate me and they treat me with respect. And having that kind of culture from the ground up with your staff creates a strong company creates better relationships with your consumers and it really in the end it actually even affects policy because these are the same people who are voting and now more people are coming out of the cannabis closet saying you know I contribute to society I pay my taxes I use cannabis and I vote and I am not what your preconceived notions you know see in your mind's eye I'm a very different person than that so make, you know, create regulations that actually represent your constituents. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I'm off my soapbox, Ryan. <laughs> uh, you, that's, that's, that's your, that's your sweet spot right there. Um, we need you to stay sharp on sharing that message. So uh, I'll, I'll listen to it every time. And, and it's a, uh, it's really, I guess I'll climb up on my human capital soapbox now and, do Talk it. about how, how important it is to treat your people well and be it from providing them with education or whatever the tools are that they need to succeed. Uh, you know, because uh, any business understands that treating your customer well is the only way to, to succeed. But what what's missing a lot of times is the part of the equation, which is for your customers to be treated well, you have to treat your people well, right? Because if those in the C-suite in the boardroom are just sitting up in, in an ivory tower corner office saying, you know, yelling at everyone beneath them, treat customers well, but we're going to treat you like trash. That doesn't track, right? So treat your people well. So they're, they're happy because happy employees are productive employees. Like we, we, it's, it's always interesting how many of us in the industry understand happy plants or productive plants, but don't understand the same goes for people. And Right. And in yeah. most cases now, till this whole thing gets automated, it's people caring for your plants. So happy people, happy plants, happy customers. Right. That, that's just so true. I, I, I can't I couldn't agree with you more on that. And it's, you know, 
it doesn't take a lot. It's more than a pizza party. <laughs> but it but it still doesn't take a lot. But, you know, it, it, everyone listening today must be like, oh, listen to those two. It's like, ah, all this stuff is happening. But in the midst of all of this, in the midst of this change, good things are coming into fruition. Things are happening. We're seeing legalization in a lot of states. And I know that, you know, you're involved in a lot of them. What are what markets are you seeing that are like exciting you that you're you're looking forward to seeing them develop? Um very uh I always have to like be very cautiously tempered, excited, but right, like, of course. <laughs> Yeah, as excited as I can be about what's ramping up in New Jersey, um, for sure. I'd like to lump Connecticut in there as well, but Connecticut's a little bit too weird for me to get fully excited uh, about. There's also these what have been, I think, historically considered these flyover markets like Missouri, which is no longer that. I mean, that's a pretty exciting market, but uh, places like Arkansas and coming soon Georgia, some of these you know southern markets. Uh, I think are going to be great for those that get to participate in them. Uh, so, um, I, I, I have I have I have equal parts excitement about all other markets. I mean, you know, certainly there's you know more more of a struggle in some market, some more established markets than others. But there's always pockets of goodness in in all markets, and I'm just excited about all legal markets where people have. Uh, access to good lab tested product. Uh, but yeah, so it's sort of a sad short list of those I'm very excited about. I'd love to put New York in there as, uh, you know, someone originally from Brooklyn, New York with a lot of friends and family. I'm uh, pretty bummed about the, 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 the state of affairs there in the legal cannabis market. When I was in, in New York at an event before I saw you at MJ Unpacked, I speaking with a lot of card license winners and talking to them about things to think about as they look to to ramp up to to set up their shops um but you know i was i i felt bad i think i think a lot of them are going to experience whatever the opposite of generational wealth creation is i'd like to see them with the opportunity to flip those licenses uh i understand the desire from New York State and the OCM to, you know, have those people operationalize them, but it's extremely expensive and difficult. And most of the people I spoke to, in my opinion, don't know what they're uh, gearing up for. Uh, so, yeah, so that was sad. Yeah, yeah, we've we've seen a lot of that in California too, especially with the equity operators, you know, putting their, their getting, you know, their permits and licenses. And, you know, but before that, having to rent a space and pay rent on that and be giving all this money before they make any profit. And it's, um, I just think that we should be doing it in a better way to be creating that generational wealth. I don't think it should be this difficult. And, and as somebody who works on the policy side, I, I it, it continually frustrates me that we aren't creating better avenues for success for people because it's an industry just like any other 
And, you know, we should be we should be doing more. People deserve more, especially people who have been impacted by the war on drugs. They they should be able to have their success. I'm really curious about um, Minnesota because I was just talking to Rochelle Gordon. She was mentioning that in the bars they have, you know, they have THC beverages that are, you know, coming from hemp and they're being served alongside alcohol which is like wild because here you can't even get a cbd drink in a bar yeah yeah i i totally uh flaked on mentioning the 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 uh, infused drink capital of the nation somehow became minnesota uh, how does this happen <laughs> Uh, yeah. And that, that's really been my dream. I have so many friends in the infused beverage space who have been for years and years trying to, uh, get me on the bandwagon with them. And I'm just, I'm this old school whole flower consumer. Uh, I, I, I enjoy adult beverages. I understand the, the, the social aspect of having that drink in your hand. It's different. I just, you know, for me, um, I always said, uh, I'll I'll get excited about that form factor when I can go to my neighborhood bar if I'm out with friends, family that want to do shots, beers, whatever they they want um, from an adult beverage, and I could just sip my my cannabis beverage, uh, and it's all the same. That's that for me is when I, I get you know I'll reach my fullest level of excitement for the uh, for the beverage category. For the beverage. And, that's that's something that uh during the pandemic we would we'd have friends over and hang out in our front garden and um people who were kind of curious we'd we'd pull out the cans because you know they were like two milligrams and so they would sip it get a little giggly and they're like oh this is different than what i remember it's like i think it's a nice it's it's a friendly way to like baby step people into trying it especially for people who the form factor is familiar, it's like it's a comfortable thing. They know the dosage is low. Um, some of the higher octane ones I've tried, I, I don't do a full hundred milligrams. Like if I do it, I do like twenty. And then my husband's like, "It's that night. I'll do that." And I'll be like, "Okay, now I'm gonna write." And I'm like, "You can, you're writing with that?" I'm like, "Yes." Here we go. I'll see you in a couple hours. I'm going in the other room with my laptop. But I, I, I think it's really cool that we have all these different ways to use it and seeing how like it shows up in other states because our policies aren't just, you know, well, they're definitely not just built on fact. You know, there's stigma involved, but there's also that state culture part, which makes it fascinating. Like going to Oklahoma and, you know, for a while there I was seeing like, weed slushies and I was like at the dispensary a weed slushie go figure like it's just crazy yeah okay yeah it's a hot day I guess I guess I just uh I I I really I I allow myself a lot of vices the one thing I try to steer away from is consuming too much sugar so that for me is another thing just when I hear slushie I think okay that's how many hours of cardio to balance that? Just- oh, you're so good. You're so <laughs> you manage that so well. That's awesome. I, I for me, it's not interested so much as partaking, 
but it's like it's that side of me that's like taking it apart like how did we get here and like where was that a good idea and and who does that appeal to like that whole deconstructing like the individual cannabis cultures because out here in California I don't think that would fly Right. And then, well, and then, uh, yeah, thinking to a couple of uh, new new industry friends I made in, in New York City who were, you know, launching non, non-alk infused um, spirits where, and I have a friend in Chicago doing that. So if you think about, you know, major metropolis, you know, downtown Chicago, New York City, where it's, you know, sort of like require to go put a drink in your hand, you know, some type of a spirit, sip a nice whiskey or something like that after a long day or during a meeting. Uh, it, to your point, you know, it makes sense to see those developing in those towns more of a like a spirit, uh, a non-alc spirit um, infused factor. Yeah, I still think I'm always just going to be a fan of having a non-alcoholic drink and stepping out for a joint on the curb. That's I'm my few, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad that you were able to join me and and geek out with me today. For people who want to see what you're doing and follow you, how should they do that? Uh, certainly. So we have a LinkedIn page, Hunter and Esquire. It's uh, with a plus sign for the and. Uh, find me on LinkedIn, Brian with a Y, Passman, P-A-S-S-M-A-N. Uh, contacting us uh, through our website, uh, is a good way to reach out if you want. We have a hello at Hunter Esquire or message me through LinkedIn and uh, or or catch me uh, around at the industry gatherings. I love to mix it up and hopefully, hopefully uh, we'll meet out there if we should. That sounds wonderful. And I'm looking forward to the day that you and I have the conversation about the boom starting again and everybody getting excited to re-engage. It's, you know... There are a lot of us out there excited and engaged, but like we were mentioning earlier, it's 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 a challenging time right now. Yeah, but good times are imminent. But mm-hmm. then guess what? They'll it, then there'll be more challenging times, and then it'll get good again. And it'll, you know, it, it's it's not for the faint of heart. It'll 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 have its ups and downs for for a very long time now, and and that's okay. That's we 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 need that, um, and so. Just uh, everyone who's at it already, keep keep grinding, and hopefully your levels of, uh, I guess, um, exhilaration about it are at least equal, if not greater, than your levels of exhaustion with what you're going through. And uh, let's keep going. We'll see each other on the other side. Yeah, that's it. Hang on tight, everybody. It's always been a wild ride. It's just a little bit of a different one, and it's it's what keeps things interesting. Well, there are no dull moments, so we do have that going for us. (laughs) It's true. Thanks so much, Brian, for joining us. And everyone, remember, if you like listening, please give us a review, share it with a friend, let us know what your favorite episodes are. And if you'd like to stay in touch over social media, we are Planted with Sarah Pion on Facebook and Planted with Sarah on Instagram and Twitter. You can also go to our website, www.plantedwithsarah.com or listen to us on our parent network, Radio Misfits Network, where there are other great podcasts like one of my favorites, the Winemakers Podcast. So check it out. You can listen to Planted wherever 
wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, whether that's Pandora, Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple, Stitcher, tune in. We are there. So join us. And until next time, stay curious, stay safe. And remember, it's a wild world out there. Be good to one another. Until next time, take care. Thank you.